In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Water is important. We're all supposed to stay hydrated, right? Water is important. Many of you may remember when Dr. Adam Hoffman visited us earlier this year for a Science Sunday. He's a professor of environmental chemistry, and he shared that if we represented all the water in the world, all the water in the world in a gallon jug, so imagine a milk jug, all of the water in the world represented by that amount, he took a dropper and took one drop and let it fall to the ground. And he said, that is all the water we have in the world that is consumable by humans. All the water in the world, a jug, one drop is what we can use to actually drink. Water is important. So much of our water on this planet is tied up in ice or salt, yet it is the foundation of life and even our bodies. 60% of our bodies are water. 75% of your brains are water. It's kind of important. Maybe we should be keeping hydrated. It's not surprising then when we look to scripture and water plays a huge role in the stories of our faith. God hovered over the waters at creation. God rained down water. He parted the seas. He caused water to flow in the desert. Dry bones were rehydrated. Jesus chose to enter into the waters of baptism, and he came up with the Holy Spirit. Jesus' first miracle was what? Water into wine. Right, Brooklyn? Jesus promised a thirsty woman coming to a well at noon that springs of living water would quench her thirst. And then he told her, I am that living water. And finally, water flows from the throne of God at the end of the book of Revelation. And so much more in between all of these stories. These are just a few that shape the story of salvation. In Psalm 84... Today, water plays an important part in the lives of the Israelites. In this psalm, they are on the way to worship God in God's house, and for them, that meant traveling to the temple in Jerusalem. And this was where the altar of God is located for them. The psalmist tells us how much they love the house of worship, and they look forward to being there. Their sense of longing in these verses that we read. And then we hear this beautiful line in verse 6. Those who go through the desolate valley will find it a place of springs, for the early rains have covered it with pools of water. Now, a key to good Bible study is don't just depend on one translation. Hebrew is a very challenging language. And sometimes when we have to choose one word or the other, we miss some of the nuance of that language when it goes into English. 
And other translations can fill out some of that meaning. Here's another version. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. That's a little different, isn't it? Oh, now we've got something called the Valley of Baca. Another version says, when they walk through the Valley of Weeping, it will become a place of refreshing springs. The autumn rains will clothe it with blessings. These are just two examples of many ways that you could translate this verse. We learn when we look at the Hebrew that the desolate valley is also known as a valley of weeping, Baca. It's also an actual valley outside of Jerusalem. In this valley are balsam trees. Balsam trees weep resin. They're weeping trees, valley of weeping, Balsam trees, weeping trees. Balsam trees also grew in a waterless area. So this is a dry place, but it has an appearance of water. Weeping trees, but there is nothing to drink. What an image. What an image. Think about that. You see trees in the distance here in Iowa. What what happens when you see trees in the distance? What do you think? Water. You can even trace in some places where the trees follow a river or a stream, and you can see where they've come up in the midst of the prairie. But here, this valley, the Valley of Baca, is not only dry, it gives false hope. It is truly desolate. But something happens when the people of God travel through this valley on their way to Jerusalem. The desolate valley becomes a place of springs. And even then, the earth contributes to this miracle with rain. If you've ever seen a desert after a rainstorm, A few days later, has anybody ever been in a desert after a major rainstorm? What happens? It blossoms, it flowers, exactly. My parents live in West Texas in the desert. Literally, if you go outside the city, there's no water for miles and miles and miles. But it's so beautiful when there's a rainstorm. A couple days later, all of the cactus start blooming. It's pretty amazing. Then it goes back to being dry and dusty. So here the ambiguity in the Hebrew is helpful. This desolate valley is made a place of springs for the Israelites as they journey to worship God. And, not but, and the act of traveling through the valley makes it a place of springs. Both are true. God causes springs to well up for them to aid them in their journey, but by journeying through the valley to go to God's house, they make it a place of springs. You heard me say 
many times that it's not what we do, but what God has already done. The life of grace is not ours to earn by good behavior or getting all the boxes checked or by getting an A following Jesus. Grace is a gift. God makes grace well up in our desolate valleys, in our lives, as we travel. And because we're walking with God, we bring springs of living water, springs of grace, every place we journey, to everyone we meet. So as we're walking, springs come up, but because we're walking, It's blessing everyone, not just us, around us as we walk. Last night, a number of us, plus five kiddos, one dressed as a seven-foot Tyrannosaurus Rex. It was pretty amazing. I feared for my life. Opened our church, turned on the lights, played the organ, gave out yummy spiced apple juice, brought out some chairs for people out there, gave away candy, wore kindness buttons, and shared our bathrooms with desperate kiddos and weary parents. It was the Halloween parade, and there were literally thousands of people, I'm not exaggerating, up and down Main Street. Hundreds saw a church brightly lit with wide open doors on a dark night. Many stopped in and said, oh, what a beautiful church. But they were also greeted with, do you want some apple juice? Would you like some candy? How's your day? One young boy, probably 12 or 13, came up to the table. Many of them, it was a feeding frenzy. But for him, he gently took some candy, took a kindness button, and I had laid out some New Testaments. We have a box of them free to give to people. And he picked it up, and then he looked over at me, and I said, you can have that. And he smiled, and he put it in his candy bag. I was that age when I started reading the Bible. And I hope he finds that living water that is Jesus by reading it. That sidewalk out front last night was not a desolate valley by any stretch. It was happy and there was laughter, but there was also thirsty kids, a whole band of them on bikes who came for apple juice, and there was the parents looking for bathrooms. For them, it was a place of springs. And for all who walked by and were greeted by each of us, the smiles and the welcome, it was a place of springs. While the Israelites actually traveled their desolate valley to get to God's house, we travel a path of discipleship, following Jesus wherever we go. And God gives us that living water as we walk in our relationship with God and in others and through our circumstances of lives. And for us, we don't have to come here just to worship God. We can worship God anywhere we are, but we do come here week after week. And so this also becomes a place of springs for us and for everyone in the neighborhood. 
The key here, and I'll say it again, it is not for us alone. Springs of grace surround us out there daily and in here as we gather, not for us alone, but for everyone we meet and everyone who comes in these doors. So maybe you're like the woman at the well, or maybe you're like the psalmist who's saying, I, I want more of this. I long for more of this. So I'm going to offer you four suggestions for how we might live this out together. The first is our heart, longing for God. The psalmist starts with his longing for God and to worship God. And this is a call to set aside intentional time for our relationship with God. Our joy increases when we spend time with a person we're in relationship with. We know that. We see that in our families families and friendships and marriages. Checklists don't work. Ignoring people is disastrous. But when we spend quality time with others, something happens. We are bonded more deeply together. This heart, this longing for God, corresponds to our first mark of discipleship here at St. John's. Pray daily. Pray daily. Pay attention to your relationship with God. A second thing we can do is our hearth. First our heart, and now our hearth. Start at home. Where do you dwell? Our hearth used to be where everything happened because that was, that was where the heat was in the house. Now we probably would say the kitchen because that's where the good food and the good smells come out of. And it's also warm, too, when the oven is on. Longing for God takes time and a space that supports it. So imagine for a moment, what is the warmest, most welcoming place in your home that you enjoy being in and inviting others into? How might you invite God into that space? Maybe with a candle or an icon or a Bible or a chair that invites you to tarry there a little bit longer, to sit and to pray. Maybe it's a table where you imagine your family sharing scripture together and talking about it. So how might your home, your hearth, become a place of springs? The third thing is hospitality. It's not just about us. It's not just about our place of living, but it's also about going out. Go out into the world. We experienced that last evening, those of us who were at the parade. We've experienced it through our kindness campaign. We're experiencing it this coming weekend with our kindness weekend and our fifth Sunday meal. Wherever we go, wherever you go, You make it a place of springs, wherever you go. And so how might, maybe this weekend, you go out into the community and think, I'm making this a place of springs. I'm hanging door hangers on people's doors to invite them to the fifth Sunday dinner. Or maybe you've noticed that Loris has a challenge keeping the trash off the sidewalks, and you want to be on the team Saturday morning to walk up and just pick up some trash. Make it a place of springs for those who live there. Or maybe you want to help make food and serve it on Sunday. 
and make that meal a place of springs for people who are experiencing food scarcity? How might we make our neighborhood a place of springs? And finally, heaven. Stay the course, heaven. Eugene Peterson, the translator of the message and a spiritual theologian, writes that discipleship following Jesus is a long obedience in one direction. A long obedience in one direction. God is at the end. So stay the course. It's so easy for us to go in so many different directions, right? I mean, our lives, email and texting and work and church and family and all of this, all of these things, pulling us good ways, not so good ways. But God's calling us to that long obedience in one direction to keep our eyes focused on that future promise God's dwelling for all eternity, life. But it's not just for then. We don't want to be so heavenly-minded we're no earthly good. We want to have a glimpse of that future in order to bring a glimpse of it here and now. A place of springs there, but it's like God gives us a taste of that spring water wherever we are right now. How might we bring heaven here? So this week, I encourage you, heart, how are you longing for God? Hearth, start with where you live. Hospitality, Go out into the world. I make it a place of springs. And finally, heaven. Stay that course, the long obedience in one direction. May we know this living water that wells up. Amen.